Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm Thigh, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. And I'm Kevin. So Kevin, today we're talking about a topic uh, because of one of our listeners, Ron H., who wrote in asking about golf balls. The first question we have comes from Ron, and that is, why are standard golf balls white instead of a more vibrant color that's easier to see as it travels through the air with clouds as a background? Oh, that's a pretty good thought-provoking question. First, actually, it's about history and tradition. Now, mass-produced golf balls started off white because they covered them with latex, and then they stayed that way. It's kind of a general thing. Secondly, golf balls are actually more important to find on the ground than they are in the air. So you trade off not being able to track it in the air against the higher chances that you'll be able to find your white ball in that field of, you know, yellow dandelions or really tall green grass. <laughs> I see. Now, how do TV cameramen or camera people follow the ball so accurately then when it's flying through the air? Do they have a technique to keep it center screen? Oh, well, they, those people, they are very skilled. And they also have special lenses. And some people have described how they could turn on the zebra stripes which lays stripes over anything white in your viewfinder. Uh, these days, there is sometimes also some computer software that helps. Since you've been talking about history and tradition at the start, can you explain how golf originated? Ah, so the origins of golf are very much up for debate, actually. But there is some generally accepted notion that the modern game of golf was developed in Scotland from the Middle Ages onwards. So the game actually did not find international popularity until something like the late 19th century. And that was when it spread it, it, to the rest of the United Kingdom, uh, and then to the British Empire, and to the United States. You know, the word golf that we use today, or in Scots, uh, G-O-W-F, is usually thought to be a Scots alteration of the Dutch golf, like a C-O-L-F. Uh, basically, that meant stick, or like a club, or like a bat. Here's another very popular question that we get relating to golf, and that is, how do we determine on a golf course what the par for a hole is? Oh yes, the par question. <laughs> very important. It's sometimes mysterious, but mm -hmm. basically, you know, each hole, no matter the length, is appropriated two strokes for putts, uh, and therefore, par for the hole is all is the number of strokes it should take a golfer to reach the green, then plus the two putting strokes. And there are also some guidelines based on distance. So something like par three uh, means one stroke to reach the green and then the two putts and will be up to 250 yards. Par four means two strokes to reach the green and two putts and will generally be something like 251 to 470 yards. And then finally par five means three strokes to reach the green and two putts. Is there such thing as a par six? You know, there actually is. Uh, something typically over 691 yards uh, would be a par 6. Uh, I believe there's even a par 7 somewhere in South Korea for a hole that's 1,100 yards. Can you believe that? <laughs> but uh, the way the par measurements have come together in practice is typically the reverse of what we've just been analyzing. So the designers of the golf course begin with the end in mind. They actually set the par and then create the whole course. Uh, and it's usually based on how far a pro can drive the ball. So for example, a par three should be about the distance that a pro can drive the ball and then hit the green in one shot. Got it, that's helpful. Now a classic golf question. 
Why are there dimples on golf balls? Ah, so when the air moves over a very smooth surface, uh, you have something in physics called laminar flow. And this means that the air is not bumpy. It actually flows very smoothly across the surface. You would think that such an object would move faster through the air, right? Well, actually, that's not true. What happens is the aerodynamic forces are, you know, they're, they're lift and drag. And drag can come from a lot of places, but you only get lift when the flow is moving over the surface. So a very laminar flow is smooth, yes, but once the ball gets going fast enough, the smooth flow won't stay attached to the surface of the ball. And so this is something called separation, and it means the ball no longer generates any lift. It will thus drop like a rock. So how do dimples help then? Right, right. So back to the dimples. The dimples on the surface of the ball create something called turbulent flow at the surface. And thus, this lets the flow stay like attached to the ball. Now, this might seem counterintuitive because turbulent flow creates more friction and thus drag than laminar flow. But however, separation on it on its own creates a large amount of drag and preventing that separation more than outweighs the penalty of slightly higher form drag. In the aerodynamic world, we call this a boundary layer because the flow is very turbulent right at the surface and it becomes more laminar as you move away from the ball. Boundary layers, got it. So if we were to apply this elsewhere then, why do cars not have dimples? You know, in cars, aerodynamic lift is not important. So it's laminar flow that's you know generally more desirable. Could airplanes benefit from having dimples like golf balls? Mm, also not really. So dimples help on golf balls because they help with the base drag. And that is drag created by the low pressure region behind the moving thing. Uh, golf balls are not aerodynamic and so have a lot of base drag and thus the dimples help. But airplanes are made to be very aerodynamic and have relatively more skin friction drag. So the benefit from dimpling the skin will be negated by basically the increased drag of skin friction. Now, while we don't have dimples on planes, I believe there are still some concepts and techniques that are derived from dimples and all that we've learned today that are applied to aircraft. So where can we see these effects on a plane? You are correct. <clears throat> so turbulent flow is very important in aircraft uh, because of that boundary layer separation is actually a very dangerous condition. You may have heard it referred to as something called stall. Essentially, what happens is a wing or a turbine plane that is gener not generating lift is stalled. So where do I look for how it's uh, implemented on a plane? So if you look out at the wing of an airplane, you'll actually see lots of little jagged pieces sticking up that are meant to delay the separation over the wing. And that's similar to the effect from dimples on a golf ball. They are actually called vortex generators. Uh, go look them up. Vortex generators. We will look them up. Thank you, Kevin. Did you learn something new? If you did, send us an email. We are at eli5thepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, especially when you've got comments or suggestions for us. And as always, thank you to the community at r slash explain like I'm five. We will see you all next week.